there is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions. Welcome to Net Zero Carbon, a show at Freightways, where we focus on everything sustainability as it relates to transportation. I am your host, Danny Gomez, and today we are joined by Nate Springer, who is the Senior Director of Market Development at GNA, Gladstein, Neanderthal, and Associates. Nate, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, Danny. Thanks for inviting me. So um, I often say about this show is that I am learning and just kind of bringing everybody along on my journey, and hopefully that's helpful. Um, and for us, this last year... There's been such an emphasis um, from a learning perspective, really, and, and also because it's um, it's important on tailpipe emissions, and we very much have focused on um, renewable fuels, um, newer technologies, what people are doing, um, and really, you know, from implementation of technologies to talking about footprinting and strategies. Um, and you guys were one of the early one of the early guests who helped us, you know, really talk about the importance of taking that first step to measure your footprint. Um, you know, one, I wanted you to, to give everyone, give you an opportunity to give everyone a background on yourself personally, and also like to, t to introduce the, the, co the company. So we'll start there. Um, but after I want to jump in and um, continue to educate myself on all of the ways that people can, um, can better their footprint or reduce their footprint um, and go a little bit beyond, um, not just go, go beyond um, tailpipe emissions as well. So um, before we get kicked off, though, we'd love to kind of hear your background, let everyone get familiar with you and all the awesome work you've done in your career. Hey, thanks, Danny. And thanks again for, for setting this up. Uh, love the work that Freightwaves is doing, helping to, to educate. And, you know, I'm, we're all learning as we go here. Uh, I'll just say briefly, so again, Nate Springer with uh, Gladstein Neanderthal and Associates. Most people know us best from the, as we, because we run the Advanced Clean Transportation or ACT Expo. It's the largest uh, trade show for advanced clean technology for fleet operators, fleet owners. Um, and uh, But we also are a, a big part of our business we've been doing for almost 30 years, consulting on emissions reductions for fleet operators and owners and, of course, all of their partners, uh, which includes a, a deep expertise in natural gas, renewable fuels, CNG, natural gas and renewable fuels, as well as EVs and, and hydrogen. Um, yeah, this is this is a great topic, and and I think you're right. There's there's just a, a, a volume of information and opportunities to, to start thinking about uh, how to reduce your, your tailpipe emissions. Um, and so I'm happy to talk uh, about a few of the options for uh, that may be, for example, related to your warehouses and your real estate operations, which includes uh, efficiency and renewable electricity. And we can get into some of those things as, as the uh, conversation goes on. To, to, I think, just help with terminology, because um, once you get into, you know, focusing on sustainability, one of the things you have to educate yourself quickly on is what is scope one, scope two and scope three. Um, and any sustainability professional now knows what those things are, but maybe people who are tuned into the show may not be as familiar. Can you just describe what is scope one and scope two and the relationship of scope one and scope two to scope three? Yeah, and more than happy to do that. And, and this is becoming just 
super relevant, even to the point of potentially financially material here very soon with a new rule proposed by the SEC. So, you know, with that as context, you know, increasing number of customers are beginning to ask uh, all of their freight and transportation partners for information on greenhouse gas emissions. And typically when we think about that, we, we think about trying to set up an accounting system that is, is fairly allocating, fairly uh, describing and inventorying all of the emissions associated with your operations. And to do that without double counting, a, a, a standard has been developed. It's, it's really, it's almost, I think, 30, 40 years old now, called the Greenhouse Gas Protocol, and it defines these three scopes of emissions. It's pretty simple, in a sense. Scope one is really everything that you are directly responsible for. In the case of a fleet owner, that is usually their, their fuel usage. Um, then you go into scope two, and, and that is pretty simple too, because it's basically all of the purchased electricity and emissions associated with that electricity. And so again, for a fleet owner or a warehouse operator, real estate operator, that's going to be a, a, a big scope as well. Scope three is like everything else. It's basically value chain emissions associated with your, you know, upstream, bringing your products, bringing your fuel and energy to you, a number of other things, leases, et cetera, and then downstream use of your products. If you're uh, HP, you know, it, it, that's a big one because, you know, I'm looking at my HP computer and, and that's burning electricity right now. And that's their so, scope three. Um, I heard a quote once maybe I read it from Walmart's um, report that I think it said it was up upwards of 80. I want to say even closer to hundred um, percent of their emissions come our scope three um, that the large majority of well, just why is that? Like just unpack that statement for me a little bit. That sounds about right. Um, and, and I used to do work pretty closely with Walmart. I've got a long background in doing, climate strategies and emissions reduction strategies for, for uh, Fortune 500s. So at one point, I actually helped them set their, what they call a science-based target. It means setting their target in line with the global climate goals and emissions associated with that. Um, the reality is for a shipper, and especially like a retailer or a, um, you know, if you're a Procter & Gamble, you, uh, you, your overall footprint, when, when we look at these, this greenhouse gas protocol and the scope one, two, and three, and then we apply that, we should be getting to an individual company like a Walmart, we should be getting a very good picture of their entire emissions in some way, directly or indirectly associated with their business. And when you're a Walmart or you're a Procter & Gamble, yes, you have a, a, a big energy load related to refrigeration of your products in the stores, related to, you know, even food waste and spoilage. For a Procter & Gamble, it's the manufacturing of their products and such. But that still tends to be a drop in the bucket to compare to once you've inventoried that full value chain, all of these others. Again, you know, it's manufacturing, let's say, in places like China. Uh, it is using products. So if you've, um, you know, if Walmart's selling uh, washing machines and dryers and such as all the energy and water and greenhouse gases associated with that. And that, when you calculate all that up, adds up to a big number, that 80%, whereas that 20% is their Walmart, you know, scope one into electricity, refrigeration, a few other, you know, variables there. In, in scope, so the way I've always thought about it is scope three is um, the network that, you know, that, that comes in um, my suppliers, so to speak. And there's, 
they themselves also likely have scope three, but their their scope one and two are my scope three. Um, is that is that a, like fair to think of it that way? Yeah, and it gets it gets tricky pretty pretty quickly depending on who you're talking about. So in the transportation value chain, which is of course what we you and I focus on most, um, you know, if you are a carrier or, or potentially even a three PL or, or real estate operator, warehouse operator, you know, your your big impacts are going to be your scope one and two. Now, Walmart. And P&G are procuring, our shippers who are procuring transportation services, warehousing as a service from those operators. But those four, from the perspective of Walmart and, and those emissions from the perspective of Walmart and P&G, are going to be their scope three. And increasingly, shippers, that's why I said at the beginning of the call, you know, this is starting to matter more and more, that scope one and two for, you know, the, the transportation industry, because the the shippers are starting to say, huh, how is it we can get that number in our scope three down? And they're really zeroing in on transportation, especially over the last couple of years. So that's super helpful. And then in, in trans, maybe just helpful us from like a context perspective, um, transportation as it relates to the overall emissions and whether it's globally or the U S how big of a factor is that it's obviously, you know, a large portion. It's a, it's a big percentage. Um, what are the latest stats on that? If you have them uh, in the U.S., transportation is now the number one source of, of emissions, according to the EPA does a, an inventory every I forget if it's every year, or every couple of years. But a couple of years ago, it was big, big news when transportation exceeded the emissions associated with uh, transportation exceeded those associated with uh, electricity. Those have been electricity has been going down in the U.S. Uh, for a variety of reasons, switching over to electricity generation from uh, natural gas versus it's moving away from high emission sources like coal, uh, but also the increasing use of renewable electricity. Uh, globally, transportation, I think, I've, is in the top three, along with agriculture and uh, and electricity, but also uh, three or four, along with industrial use. And I've seen various numbers. I think it's something like the global, uh, you know, ocean shipping industry, for example, I used to work very heavily in when I ran the Clean Cargo Working Group, uh, was something like a, a 2% of all global greenhouse gas emissions. And that seems like a drop in the bucket um, in terms of like two of 100%. But but it is, a, it is an enormous number. And by getting some of those transportation emissions-related uh, emissions related to transportation, getting those numbers on a downward trajectory will not only move, hopefully, transportation out of being the number one source of greenhouse gas emissions in the U.S., but uh, make a big dent in helping to achieve global climate goals, especially when other sectors actually have fewer opportunities. So, for example, cement and, and there's a number of other certain industrials, it, it is going to be very hard, even harder than in transportation, to bring down those, those emissions. In, in transportation, so um, I love the idea of talking a little bit about some of the things we've covered over this last year, right? Um, and ch kind of checking those off the list, right? So we often talk about the Gartner period, pyramid. So like do your footprinting, understand where your emissions are coming from. You'll need to do this GHG accounting um, standard to really align. And I always think of a kind of like gap accounting principles, right? Very similar concept to that. So you know where your scope one, scope two, and three um, emissions are in the size of those. 
and then you, you zero in on transportation. Um, you realize it's important in your business because it's, you know, it's a key part. Um, whether you're a shipper moving a lot of goods or you are a service provider to a shipper, um, what are some of the um, what are some of the strategies that are being employed most commonly in today? And then also, like, I think a, a little bit is helpful to understand what things would we do more of if, for instance, there was like more renewable fuels or more charging infrastructure, like just understanding what, what is it, what is cap what are we capable of doing now? And then what is the industry moving towards and preparing to support um, in the near term? It's a great question, and uh, I'll probably frame it up in the in by thinking uh, uh, around like low hanging fruit. You know, first yeah. that that any anyone in the value chain should be thinking about. You know, number one, low hanging fruit. No matter what industry you're in, is always going to be efficiency, and this absolutely holds true in transportation. It holds true in buildings, right? You know, a lot of a lot of older building stock was 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 built in an era of low inexpensive energy, and therefore they uh, didn't have to really worry about things like insulation, LED lighting, you know, all these other HVAC improvements, et cetera, HVAC efficiency. So in almost all of these industries in the transportation value chain, if you're a shipper, if you're a carrier, if you're a 3PL, warehouse operator, whatever, efficiency is going to be your number one go-to uh, and, and just great low-hanging fruit. And, you know, most often it's going to hit your scope one and two emissions, and you can report on results to your customers who are looking for scope three emissions reductions by going through efficiency. Um, there's a number of renewable fuels and biofuels uh, in transportation specifically um, that are absolutely available. They're uh, widely distributed. They're cost effective, certainly starting out with uh, the biofuel blends that drop into diesel engines, so a B5 up to a B20 mix of biofuels. Uh, OEMs have certified those engines. And to you're saying, just pausing there for a second, um, we, all, we often talk about drop-in fuels. You're saying that these fuels can be used in existing um, engines without modification? Up to 20%, basically. Okay. It is not going to get you the uh, an enormous emissions reduction, but it, as I said to the low-hanging fruit concept, it's a pretty quick and easy, cost-effective, generally cost-neutral um, low-hanging fruit uh, way to reduce your emissions immediately. By the way, I should have mentioned with the efficiency conversation, you know, mode shifting is obviously always going to be a big one from a ship, shipper perspective. Uh, or even a network perspective for, for a carrier. Um, so, yeah, a couple of those uh, low-hanging fruits. Um, now, renewable electricity, for anyone who owns any uh, a, a, a piece of property in real estate, is now a, 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 a low-hanging fruit opportunity. So it's, it's going to immediately zero out or, or dramatically reduce the scope two emissions associated with the electricity of any of the real estate that you purchase, you put, up, put together renewable electricity deals on. A couple of things have happened over the last decade to make this a real mature and viable option. One, the price of renewable electricity, just development and, and manufacturing has plummeted over the last decade. And the second thing is the industry has gotten really creative about different financial structures and deals. The one you've probably heard the most about or viewers have heard the most about is the PPA, the Power Purchase Agreement, a virtual PPA. 
Um, I'm not an expert on that, but there's just tons of innovation, tons of, of, of uh, solutions that enable warehouse operators as a low-hanging fruit um, and to provide for themselves and their customers immediate emissions reductions looking into and, and entering into these uh, renewable electricity deals and even installing on site. Um, and I think there are still public incentives available, uh, can be generally a pretty cost effective. I think it's still a little bit longer than uh, ROI and, and um, it time frame than most real estate owners are and REITs are looking for. But it, um, you know, it does pay off and, and it does lower your bills at, because electricity prices are going nowhere but up. All right. So we're talking about electricity and sustainability and transportation and focusing on buildings, um, increasingly there's going to be demand for electricity as EVs become more prevalent in mid and short range, as hopefully infrastructure gets built out to help in medium and long range. Um, it's a very interesting, I mean, I, my background is from the energy and power space to see these companies, you know, in the near term, um, being large consumers or larger consumers of electricity, where does that, what, what scope does that fall into? If I'm now purchasing energy to power my truck, that's scope too, right? It gets, again, gets real tricky here. <laughs> so generally, um, and it's funny because I haven't even gone through this thought exercise myself so I'd probably want to go back and just validate, but but my instinct here is that that any of the electricity that is used for a customer of a warehouse. So if I'm a if I'm a fleet leasing the warehouse, um, then that all of the electricity is associated with my scope two. We allocate it to to me as the operator. And the, the property owner, it actually is the scope three. It's their scope three emissions. Doesn't matter if that's for renewable electricity, if that's for charging, if that's for just running and operating the HVAC and and the lighting in in, in any equipment in the uh, in the warehouse. It's all going to be my the fleet owner, fleet, the lessees, uh, scope two emissions. So, <clears throat> kind of going walking down that path. So, I. I go in and I, you know, convert my fleet to 100% EV, just being dramatic here. Um, and I then, you know, have some, some uh, charging, charging infrastructure at the, at the buildings that I lease. Um, those require energy, right? And then your is the calculus for the energy I consume, like the, uh, the emissions I assign to, you know, just thinking about the grid, right? Like, this may be commonly known, but when you pull power off the grid, there's no way to say, I want specifically solar power, right? It, once it gets put on the grid, it all gets mixed up and it's, you know, you don't, you can't really um, dictate which, you know, the specific megawatt that you're pulling off is solar, right? It could be, a, it could be from a coal plant. Um, and so in that regard, is there just a, an average that gets applied unless you are able to point to like a, a, a virtual PPA that is solar? No, and this is this is where you mentioned at the beginning, you just always has to start with the baseline, the initial inventory that you're probably going to want to refresh at least a, uh, every other year, if not annually. So 
if you've gone through that exercise of doing a, a complete fleet or warehouse owner baseline, what you're going to find is your operations, your real estate in California is generally speaking per kilowatt hour going to be lower emission than your operations in uh, in Ohio if you're pulling off of the grid, Ohio or West Virginia, if you're if you're using exclusively you know, plugged into whatever the utility provides uh, to me. Because as you point out, there are significant differences and in the, in the source of the uh, electricity and the greenhouse gas, I'll call it intensity or, you know, high or low emissions associated with um, the, what we call the grid mix. So, um, so if you've gone through that exercise, what you're going to find is that you're going to get much more significant emissions reductions by your look, your load's going to go up either way. And it'll probably go up if, let's say, you're electrifying a large warehouse operation that's doing, um, you know, that's running tractors and, and forklifts, um, you know, th four to 10x potentially if you electrify that entire operation. Right. So no matter what, if it's in Ohio or if it's in California, the, the total load of total electricity volume is going to go up. Now, that doesn't mean, though, as per my previous comment, it doesn't mean that those emissions associated with both are going to be the same because you're going to see a much higher emissions um, in, in potentially even an increase overall by transitioning, say, off of diesel off of gasoline, uh, off of propane uh, for your forklifts and such, to uh, to an electrified operate fully electrified operation in Ohio, versus you know over here in California and such. And a lot of states, you just have, kind of have to look at that. There's just variations by geography. You don't have to do it state by state. Actually, there is some good analysis out there that'll actually show you, and it kind of breaks it down state by state. But um, typically, good practice is that there are regions of the U.S. And they have um, that, that the EPA and the Department of, of Energy has broken out. And you can say, okay, here's the average for this region in the Southwest. Here's the average for Texas ERCOT. Here's the average for the Northeast and Southeast. Interesting. I mean, that just, we, we talk about this, and I think um, you guys were the first to, to open our eyes to it. The, the need to, to do your homework and to, um, not just say the thing that catches the headline, but understand the implications for that. I mean, that's a pretty interesting statement to, to think about like, oh, everyone's doing EV, I'll do EV too. Well, the generation around you is super dirty. Like it's maybe not be the best thing for you to switch at this point, let the generation around you catch up or, or you know, think about some other options. So that is interesting. I mean, Nate, <clears throat> it's kind of crazy that we're getting close on time because I feel like I now have even more questions. <laughs> I'm doing a good job of answering some of the ones I already had. Um, but like, again, the, the purpose of um, really this month and this show specifically is one, to give us context for the conversations that we're going to have next, which are very specific um, use cases of things that have, have people have done beyond, um, things that people have done beyond uh, strategies in vehicles specifically, um, and how they're, how they're making investments in all parts of their business. Um, and the relationship, and I think what you highlighted really great today is those things are intertwined. 
right? <clears throat> Increasingly, and thinking about how, um, you know, how a company like Link Logistics can assist in empowering their um, their customers to be more efficient. Um, you did say one thing that I I wanted to touch on, which I didn't realize. So, as um, a building owner, the people who lease from me. Um, the footprint, the, the emissions that they, um, or the CO2 they emit by supporting their business with my equipment or my real estate becomes my scope three. Is that true? As the building owner? Yeah. Generally speaking, yes. And, and you know, what you do when you go through this green, initial greenhouse gas inventory uh, per the greenhouse gas protocol exercise is that each company, whether it's your customer, whether you as the lessee or the lessor, uh, needs to define what they, they consider their operational boundaries. And so there are, could be some nuances, depending on how the lease is structured, depending on how ownership of different companies are structured, right? And, and you define your operational boundaries in a couple different ways, too, too technical to get on into details on this call. But... Um, you know, generally speaking, it, it should be the, the, the organization that has operational control, that is responsible for the use of that electricity, the, the actual dem demand and draw is the one that's going to account for that in their scope two. And then the other one is going to account for it in their scope three. Interesting. I mean, it sounds like their protocols properly set up to... Um, to, inv to incentivize investments um, and also to not let people off the hook. Well, it's around uh, not uh, accountability and avoiding double counting, right? And yeah. so, so they don't um, they don't want, for example, uh, a warehouse owner and a um, and a tenant to t take the same uh, account of emissions reductions for some sort of energy efficiency or renewable electricity investment, right? And, and there are some split incentives and some challenges, and there, there may be some ways, again, depending on the contractual arrangement where, you know, some of that is shared. There's some sort of equity uh, or one gets to claim the environmental and emissions benefits, but the other takes the financial, you know, gets pretty nuanced pretty quickly. But, but again, it's um, the operational control aspect that says, okay, if I'm generally speaking the rule of thumb, if I'm the one responsible for generating the demand of electricity and operating the equipment that does that, then I am a, and responsible for accountable for those scope two emissions. Okay. Um, a lot to unpack. This has been super helpful. Um, we appreciate you coming on. You're kicking off uh, a little mini series here. So I think this is great context for the, the shows to follow as well. For those folks who want to get connected with you or GNA, what's the best way for them to do that? We're at gladstein.org. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. People happy to have people reach out to me, follow up. Uh, my contact information is there, gladstein.org. Awesome. Thanks so much, Nate. Hey, thank you, Danny. This was great. There is over a trillion dollars of waste in supply chains today. The net zero carbon emission is something that corporates are taking very seriously. To meet these objectives, they're going to have to take into consideration CO2 emissions.